Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 791. Let's go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. This is real events happening in the world from Nerdist folks like you. Aldrin Cornejo, who is a fantastic supporter of all things comedy. He comes to a ton of shows. Totally good dude. Totally good dude. He says his friend and regular Nerdist showroom attendee, Doug Culp, uh, and he run a house called Duplex Comedy Suplex. This is every Thursday night. They do it out of their duplex in Little Armenia uh, in, in Los Angeles. It's an intimate space with a very positive vibe. We've hosted many of our favorite comics, including Kyle Clark. Uh, each week, he creates a flyer for the next week's show by doing what he calls hashtag sketched improv. He asks the audience for three suggestions. They combine them all into an image that he presents at the end of the show. For more information, go to facebook.com slash duplex comedy suplex. Do you see? This is why you can do the thing that you want to do. These guys are comedy fans. They started a sh- You might go, well, I can't really have access to a theater. They started a show in their fucking apartment. You have no excuses. And well done, Aldrin and uh, Doug, for that. Facebook.com slash Duplex Comedy Suplex. Dave Furtick writes, I'm one of the producers of a show in Greenpoint, Brooklyn called Puppet Playlist. The show takes brilliant puppeteers and talented musicians and slams them together into an evening of live theater to stir the senses. The theme for their 20th show is going to be Billy Joel. So you have a choice. You can go see the actual Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden or you come to Brooklyn and see some ridiculously talented puppeteers and musicians create all new interpretations of Billy Joel's music as part of Puppet Playlist number 20. Uh, this features original works of puppetry inspired by some of the songs of Billy Joel, mixed with live musical imperson- interpretations by some of New York's awesome singer-songwriters. Performances are March 17th and 18th. Tickets are only 15 bucks. can be purchased at puppetplaylist.com or at the door. This episode is Mr. J.J. Abrams and Dan Trachtenberg. Dan, you might know from Totally Rad Show, he also directed an amazing short about five years ago called Portal No Escape, and he's directed uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Now, I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane the other night. I had no idea what to expect, and it is fucking fantastic. I know you would expect me to say that because they're on the show. I know I'm very positive about everything, but I'm telling you this movie is great. The performances in it are fantastic. I mean, John Goodman is... Everyone's phenomenal. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It's such a good movie. You don't have to have seen the original Cloverfield, which is also really good, but I got motion sick watching. This is not a shaky cam found footage movie. It's a separate, it's its own thing. 
I, I don't want to – if I explain it too much, I'll give it away. But you just need to see it. It is great and I am positive this is going to launch uh, Dan's career as a, as a very influential director because it's the movie's fantastic. Uh, and we got to start with JJ too. We went to, we went to Bad Robot and uh, got to hang out, look at all their props and do this. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I, every night I go to bed and I go, how is my life this way? Uh, this is uh, how do I get to do these amazing things? So uh, I think you will enjoy this episode. And then JJ gives away some, he just kind of offhandedly says something near the end of the podcast that Dan and I are like, what? What did you just say that I don't think we knew or anyone else? So uh, listen for that at the end. You'll know it when you hear it. Um, and uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane is in theaters as of now, March 11th. So don't waste any time. Go see 10 Cloverfield Lane. I promise you will not regret it. All right, here's Nerds Podcast number 791 with J.J. Abrams and Dan Trachtenberg. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey man, nice to meet you. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Hello. We're trying. Hi. We're trying to hey. play all the keyboards. Is it already recording? Sense. I bet. Right. I just started. Okay. Now it is. Because <laughs> usually we hear the door close. The guests are already talking. <laughs> Makes it all feel very authentic. Yeah. Well, we were just. just there's, we're just having a conversation. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should go grab my jacket. It's all right. Keep it. Sure. Keep it like this. I'll go grab my jacket. I'll be right back. As you work. How's everybody? Good. Are you Katie? No, that's Katie. Oh, you're Katie? Nice to meet you. See ya. I'm a big fan, Chris. What? <laughs> yeah. You shut your goddamn mouth. I I've, I loved, um, we'll get into all this, but, you know, we have so many Rev3 friends in common. Yeah, yeah. No, we've actually met in passing a couple times through Alex at Comic-Con once, and then... Um, Possibly through Ryan Vance as well. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Ryan Vance. Wow, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Yeah, Ryan was a G4, and then he went over to work at Rev3. Right, right. And and weirdly just had an office at G4 for years that just had his name on it that was like, he doesn't work here anymore. Oh, that's funny. But uh, yeah, Ryan, you know, it was a a good group. We were talking about... uh, We could probably talk about Rev3 a little bit, right? Yeah, totally. Just saying that the, the interesting thing about Rev3 was that, number one, very much ahead of the curve. Yes. Years ahead of the curve. Way too ahead. Too ahead. <laughs> too, too, yeah. <laughs> to, to their fault, probably. <laughs> to, to, a, little, a, little, a little too ahead. But right. also, you know, uh, the idea of Rev3 being essentially an entertainment channel, but, but Silicon Valley-minded versus entertainment-minded, right. which... In in one sense is interesting because it's like oh they're shaking it up. But the other the other side is like oh I don't I don't think they understand some of the compromises that kind of need to totally you know because they have their startup mentality. So, totally, oh, we don't totally. fucking do what you say. I'm it's so crazy because when we first were thinking about doing the the totally rad show, when we were like putting together what the pitch for it was there was also a company called Juiced or Juice or something that was internet video before anyone else and we were like we might be able to do video for this show because <laughs> podcasts didn't have video components and and thank god we we didn't uh 
Because that could have been that could have been the thing that took off as much as Revision Three did. Um, but then we we held what codec should we use? Yeah, and what format should we post Dude, to? Totally. So there are some pages that can just autoplay a QuickTime file, and I think that would be really amazing if we could figure that out. What's crazy too is thinking back before YouTube, um, there was like I remember iFilm. Yeah, of course. And you could I watch something iFilm. on Real Player. Uh, and, yes. And uh, there was a, there was a short film. Um, called 405. Do you remember that? It was no. the first of they they that team that did that got like a three picture deal off of the short film. Um, that was they like delete they erased all the cars in the 405 and they had a plane landing and it was all about a plane landing on the 405. That sounds familiar, yeah, but I don't mu- know I, if I I would find it impossible if you hadn't actually seen it. It was it was who bought iFilm? Someone bought iFilm. Was it someone had. Someone bought – because iFilm was really the repository for all of that for the right. longest time. Right. And even though YouTube's only 11 years old, it mm. it it feels like, what did we do right. before? I mean, like, right. see mm-hmm. how long the Rooster Teeth guys have been doing. It's like, uh-huh. what did you do before? Right. Like, well, we had to post little videos, tiny little thumbnail-sized videos that totally. took forever. That to... looked horrible. <laughs> um, I, I, I still remember, too, like, in car, my, my cousin got Encarta Cyclopedia yeah. on <laughs> CD-ROM and then played videos. And there, you could watch a clip <laughs> of, uh, of videos that were so pixelated. And um, But I loved that. Oh, I, I remember stuff. watching the uh, the Encarta CD-ROM videos and my uh, – what was it? I think at that time it was a – uh, a Macintosh Performa <laughs> computer, which was uh, which I had to buy from Mac Mall because there was no Apple Store. And cra- crazy. There was PC Mall, and then Mac Mall was the the Mac alternative. Uh, well, wait, but not Babbage's and electronics. You couldn't get. I knew Babbage's, yes, yes but Babbage's, but Mac Mall, um, PC Mall had. I feel like PC Mall had a store I that I could go to that had. Yeah. A small Mac section. Yes, yes. It was right around the time that. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, welcome. Uh, it was right around the time of the the old the old Mac uh, ads with uh, with Jeff um, Goldblum. You know, I don't remember that. You Jeff remember Goldblum's that? Mac ads. Yeah, yeah. Not only did Jeff Gold, Jeff Goldblum do these Mac ads, and then someone a few years ago slowed them down by about thirty percent, and it made him sound super drunk just because of the way he was talking. <laughs> I do not remember that. My first computer was a Mac SE, though. Really? Yeah, black and white. I was so jealous of my friend's color PCs. God damn it. Up. My first computer was a uh, TRS-80, a, oh. a Tandy yeah. slash Radio Shack TRS-80, wow. which was a terminal computer. So it was the you know it was a terminal. So the keyboard was built into the to the and it didn't it didn't really do much. Right. Not until the advancements of the TRS-80 color computer two. That you could run through your uh, television, your RCA. Oh wow! So that was really that's when that's when technology. Really I'm sure took you off. remember. I'm sure you must have had this too. But growing. Oh up. my God, JJ Abrams, like, where did you yeah, come yeah, from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, in class, learning computers, there was that thing called Turtle that you had to type in code and you gave it directions and it would go. Oh my forward. God! That was how we learned. That was learning computers in kindergarten. I think we had that in my school. Yeah, you, you know, in kindergarten have... we did not have. The... Oh. Yeah, maybe. When I was in kindergarten, yeah, tur- yeah, turtling was you poop your pants a little bit. <laughs> so it was a. D- oh, d- I had d- that d- too, actually. That's that's multi generational. <laughs> By the way, we have not been ignoring JJ the whole time. He just came in and sat down. <laughs> we 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 were talking about uh, early early video. We were talking about revision three, where where Dan, where he used to work, and uh, just about being ahead of the curve and video and how it seems only in a decade how anything ever got posted before that. 
just because. Do of you remember four or five? The that short film that was the sure, plane landing. The yeah, old, the old lady in the car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually referenced that in this TED talk that I did years ago. Oh, crazy! Oh, what? the mystery box TED talk. Yeah. What, what do you know? I Look it. at that. See, you did know of it for sure. Well, I was a fan of yours from. Um, well, not just because of totally rad show, but also uh, Portal No Escape is so fucking good. Which is like five years old now. Yeah, that's so crazy. That's great. I remember hearing you talk about it with Aisha Tyler, maybe even on her podcast, and I flipped out. Oh yeah, um, I think yeah. we did talk about yeah, it on her I, podcast. That was so amazing. Um, yeah, that was that was a long time ago, um, but that was really fun to make. I, I you know I started out doing commercials um, and also hosting the the Toy Rad Show, um, but always wanted to make movies, and all the commercials that I did were very. Like slice of life, emotional, documentary style, not big and cinematic and ultimately like the kind of movie that I wanted to make. So um, I decided to do this short based on that because, I, you know, I was seeing a lot of success um, happening from these shorts that were very effects focused um, and felt more like effects reels than than stories. And I thought this would be a cool opportunity to do something that's very story oriented and that also has special effects, but they're not, you know, giant robots and aliens, which is stuff that I love, um, but the effect itself is something that's sort of interesting. Um, and and so on the one hand, it can be something that's very visceral, but it's also something that engages you in a very puzzling way. And um, and I also love, like, Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones, and I thought it would be cool to have a visual effect that's sort of mind-bendy as opposed to... Yeah, which is perfect for Portal. And, and yeah. at that particular right. time, like, watching watching filmmakers use YouTube... And like, oh, these are you can actually make something look really good, yeah, inexpensively, and uh, and showcase that you know this is a real platform for 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 legitimate um, totally narrative content. Totally, yeah. Uh, I I'm so I uh, I have to apologize to you, J.J. Abrams, because Cinemore. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this baby? I don't know what <laughs> okay, well now let's explore that. Uh, we 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 were at a. Uh, we were at the a, a snazzy uh, party after the uh, the Academy Awards, and uh, oh my gosh. I I met Tim Cook, and I I froze I froze because I just I didn't expect I was talking to someone from Apple, and I go, oh Tim Cook's over there. Have you met him? No, Tim, come here. I'm like, oh, no, I wasn't prepared. Oh god! And then I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I, I meant to thank him for protecting our privacy. Right, right, right. Couldn't get that out. It was just like, I uh, saw you at an airport. Like, it was just the... <laughs> right. So I turn and grab the person next to me to go, holy shit, I just met Tim Cook, and it's you. Yeah. And, and so then I was embarrassed for a couple of reasons, right. because number one, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, we're, you know, you, you and Tim are friends, naturally. And uh, and I just felt like a complete douchebag. No, it was very. Uh, it was it was uh, it was sweet that you had that reaction about him. I was because you know it, it's incredible what, what they do over there, and and it's it's deserved. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know he, he's such a an, a good guy, and you know I, I totally understood that that crazy uh, <laughs> uh, excitement. But he, you know, he. It, it's funny. There's um, there's this crazy thing that uh, just happened to come up that in this. Uh, an episode of the show we're doing where he was actually uh, he was written in as like a cameo <laughs> and uh, he'll never do it but I was basically trying to sell him on you don't uh, know if he won't do he I might do it would that be fun that would be that would be amazing That'd be amazing but it's funny how no matter where you are in your career it was like I feel like I'm 
doing a million things, but then I look at you and I go, no, no, JJ's really doing a million things, but then you probably look at Tim Cook and go, no, Tim Cook's yeah, really yeah, doing yeah. a million things. We're all, you know, doing a million things, but the the things that, like, what they do, it's incredible when you think about the tools that we use that have come from that place, and now you see that giant building that they're they're building you've seen the videos of this you know right? i've seen i've seen like some of the concepts i haven't seen it's insane it's a new it compound is, it is this giant it's a huge ring it's like this massive you know donut shaped uh but it's just it's insanely uh big it's 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 you know and you just think what the what are they going to do there like well, it's what clearly is, a know? particle accelerator that's going to open <laughs> that's some like. sort of a window into another right. universe it's incredible. I, i'm just i'm just so, yeah there it is dan yeah. Oh my gosh! I'm so in awe of awesome. Of, of you know, what, from space, it looks really though, fake though. To I, me, I just say from space, it'll it'll kind of look like the Earth's butthole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to. I, it's amazing up close, but I think from far away, it does. That's it does. Funny. It does look like a butt. Just just a little bit though. But just a little just, bit. Just the inner ring. Just yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs> not really the whole. Yeah. I wonder if I say that and someone hears it, and they go, "God damn it!" And they just, <laughs> Like cancel the plans, or they just yeah. cut it in half or something, just so it doesn't look exactly <laughs> right. like a, yeah. a thing. Yeah. How do you keep your brain together? How do you keep, you know, especially because when I heard th- the announcement for Ten Cloverfield Lane, feels like it came out pretty quickly, and now the movie's coming out, and and I, I think I, I just felt like, but you just you just got through the space movie, so how do you <laughs> how did, how were you able to packet switch and get into the production of this? Well, we were. Working on this for a long time, and and Lindsay Weber, who runs features here, has uh, and produced the movie with me, was running point on it, and I was involved early on. I was less involved, just sort of watching dailies and throwing out suggestions during the shoot. But it was you know Dan, you know was had it under control, and Lindsay uh, was doing great, and she was there on set as well, and in New Orleans. And then when we finished up with. Force Awakens, I got to be a little bit more involved and, again, would just offer opinions, but, you know, it was it's Dan's movie and it was it was a really fun kind of, in a way, uh, you know, uh, an antidote, in a way, to the sort of massive responsibility of Star Wars to get involved in something that was fun to work on with people who were terrific to work with that was a much more intimate movie that we actually, you know, that, that no one had expectations for. And so it was the literally the opposite experience. And it was up to us to try and get attention. Um, this movie deserves it, I think. I think Dan did an amazing job. And we were hoping that people would, and I, we'll see what happens, but uh, hopefully people will react well to the film itself. But I think Dan did an extraordinary job. And for me, it was just a blast to work on. I mean, it, I, I saw it, <laughs> so Tuesday... Um... I got an email from Paramount that said, uh, oh, you know, we really need you to see the movie before you do the thing. And I go, I, I don't, you know, I'm moving and I'm editing my comedy special in addition to that Midnight and Talking Dead and Nerdist and Podcast. I go, I don't, I can't create time. You're doing more than Tim Cook. I'm doing a lot more than Tim. <laughs> I just want it to be known that I'm doing more than Tim. Um, but, uh, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I said, you know, we won't really be able to talk a lot about the movie anyway because we can't spoil anything. And they said, if there's any way you can see it, just try. So I call my fiance, who was my ultimate, who I have the most responsibility to. And I said, I know we were supposed to do moving stuff tonight, mm. but they're going to, Paramount's offered to screen 10 Cloverfield Lane. And we watch every horror, sci fi, everything together. 
And uh, I said, you know, do you, do you want to just kind of make this a date night? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So then it became this really fun date night. They set up this private screening room for us at Paramount. And the movie was fucking fantastic. It was so good, Dan. Awesome. It was so good. Awesome. It was unexpected. And it didn't. She. Um, yeah, what, did, what did your fiance think? She loved it. Okay. You know, my first question when they said, will you screen the movie was like, is it. Shaky cam found footage because I almost threw up. I loved the first Cloverfield, but there were a couple times where I thought I was going to throw up and pass out. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I had to, I had to, she, I was just listening to most of it. I, I actually no. didn't have that reaction to Cloverfield, but Blair Witch Project, um, I saw opening night at the Angelica in New York and I walked out and puked my guts out. Literally. <laughs> yeah, left the theater and threw up See, everywhere. I, I get yeah. motion sick and yeah. I didn't at all in Blair Witch. And on Cloverfield, I remember saying to Matt, you know, I, I, I will throw up when I watch this movie. Can you please? And I never did because we were watching it on the Avid. So you're looking at a small screen. Right, right. And then I remember at the premiere, I watched and I saw my dad literally leave the theater. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be right behind him because I was like, you know, it's really hard. And yet, it's, it, you know, it's, it's true to that style. Yeah, absolutely. But dear Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 sometimes it gets you, sometimes it doesn't. I remember playing Wolfenstein as a kid. And if you're, if you're not controlling it, I think like sometimes you're in sync with the filmmaking and the camera is doing because even watching a Paul Greengrass movie or something, I'll, you can get I'll that still way. get sick playing Halo now. Yeah, yeah no, a hundred percent. But crazy. you have to. It's like if you ever like jerk the control in a way that you didn't intend. That's what I think creates that feeling. But if if you're in sync with where the camera's going and what's happening, then I, I feel like it doesn't do that weird inner ear. Brain I don't thing. know Blair Witch. I saw the way that the best way to have seen Blair like, Witch given was to you on tape. someone gave yeah. me an unmarked VHS tape and Amazing. they're like and and this was this was at that time in 97 I think it was this was before 98 this yeah. was before the whole like oh it's found footage right, right. you know so there were there were titterings of like is this real what is the you know yeah. and it was like around the same time people were passing around videotapes of spirit of christmas you know before south oh, the park. south park thing yeah so totally it was it was it was irl viral of actually having to create <laughs> right. and and hand out tapes and it it didn't make me sick because of that reason but but yeah i you know i actually haven't even been on the new star tours because the old star tours at disneyland mm. Made me so ill mm. that I was afraid to go on the new one. I've been sick on Star Tours, but the new Star Tours is awesome. You have to. You have to. In fact, I haven't been on it since. Is there Force Awakens stuff? There is. There? In fact, we filmed it here. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> John Boyega in oh my the, gosh. the new Star Tours ride was filmed right here. But is it? does it randomly show up like all the other things? Or do you definitely have that and no, then I you think get a random? I think it has that kind of randomization thing where it'll every ride's different because there are right. like, a number of different options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's awesome, dude. You have you. I think it being three D is sort of helpful because you're more immersed. You're a little more immersed, but Maybe. with but with, with your movie though, yeah. no nausea inducing. Yeah, yeah, and what's great about it is because when I when I when I tweeted out this movie's amazing and people need to see it, which is honestly how I felt. I really think people should see it. Oh, that's awesome because it's it, it's it's unexpected and it's not it it you don't have to have seen the first one. Um, I think it's nice if you've seen the first one, but. It also sets up this kind of Cloverfield, uni- this universe that's sort of loosely, almost Black Mirror style. Did you see Black Mirror at all? Uh, so you know, first season, e- I never saw the. Yeah, everything's a part of this. It feels like everything's a part of this universe without necessarily being a direct 
this leads to this kind of kind no, of thing. No, it's like you can watch any Twilight Zone in any order. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh well, of course. Yeah. You you have the Twilight Zone plates upstairs <laughs> here, right? You still have you, the plates. Don't you have the credit plates? Oh, the uh, we only have the at the the very end for Serling's production company. It's it's sort of the and the, the seal of approval, like the kind of yeah. The good housekeeping seal of approval type thing at the end. But it's the original, it's right? The original. Yeah. Was so just that. You, so you just have that. <laughs> you just have that piece of television history right. upstairs on the, the wall. The greatest thing I just found, I was going through uh, some old files and stuff and just trying to get rid of things that, that I don't need. And I found this letter that I had that I had forgotten about. There's a letter from Rod Serling to a fan. And it was this letter that said, basically, you know, someone had written and asked some questions. And it was, it was, it was Serling saying... You know, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to just give you some quick answers. And it was an eight-page, tight, <laughs> single-space response oh to to so many questions about how he writes, what his process is, how he comes up with ideas, why he did a certain thing in a movie. You know, the, the, it was talking about Planet of the Apes. It was after that. It was the, the most generous letter from someone who claimed not to you know, had a lot of time to respond, but it was just, it really spoke to this, you know, his, Reddit would have killed Rod Serling. <laughs> he never would have done anything it was else. Not, yeah, he, he, Twitter would not have worked for him. But it, <laughs> it, but it, it was an incredible thing to see, uh, just to make this Rod Serling discovery. So. What What were some of the things that he said in terms of his... I can tell you the letter. It's really, uh, it's 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 very cool. Um, can I just have it? Or sure. Is that... Yeah, okay, sure. Okay, great. Thanks. We'll do that. What, what, what? I threw it away. I didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I can't let anyone else see this. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that was definitely it, definitely a different time. And Rod, Stor- Rod Serling seemed like a, kind of an intense guy. He seemed like a little bit of an intense guy. Yeah, and I, I've, I've gotten to know Carol, uh, his widow, who is one of the greatest and sweetest people of all time. And it's just an amazing thing. Um, I was talking to her once about his process, which was uh, he would dictate his scripts. Mm. So I asked her, does she have any tapes? And she said, oh, yes. <laughs> and so she gave me this piece of audio that is him doing a, a, a script. This was post-Twilight Zone. But to hear him write. And oh, I, wow. I listened, for the first time, this was years and years ago, I listened to it uh, for the first time in uh, my office at home. And it was like one thirty in the morning. And I put it on. And I was just alone in the middle like, of the night with, you know, listening to Rod Serling writing. And it was so... It was so beautiful and so creepy, and it, like you'd hear where he'd turn off the microphone because he was just thinking, and then he'd turn it back on again. Oh my god! And it was just amazing, and it was it was it was his process. And you heard him coming up with it, and then he'd like he'd revise the line he just did, and he'd give the tape. It was on a dictaphone, and he would give the tape to his assistant, who would then type it all up. But it was an amazing thing, and she is a, a wonderful, wonderful person. Carol. Was there hemming and hawing? Like, did you did you see him? Um, fumbling for words at all, or was he always what sort he would of... do? Is he would he would make specific corrections about things that he would he would say, like he would make sure it was like so it was like formatted in the right way. Mm-hmm. But what was cool was where he would pause it because he would kind of go on a run of a couple lines of dialogue. Then you hear like, and you just know he like stopped and thought and considered. Then it, he kept going, and it was just this, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was an incredible insight into a hero. Mm. Well. Speaking of that, when uh, the last time we were here, I think it was probably like four or five years ago, maybe talking to you about, we were talking about eight millimeter a lot, and, mm. and oh, the, the format mean, Super Eight or Super the format eight, eight, yeah, eight millimeter, Super Eight, eight millimeter. That's the eight millimeter was the Nick Cage movie. movie. Uh, Joel, I know you're always obsessed, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, you're Joel always obsessed with that movie. Yeah. You're always coming and talking about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was a very creepy movie. It's totally creepy. There was a there was a scene at the end of it. Sort of a ripoff of what did it come right after? 
I guess seven, sort of, right? People thought it came was. Out, yeah. yeah. It was in that kind of snuff film. Yes, yes, right. Category. But there was, I remember, oh boy. Joel Schumacher, I think, is a really, I mean, not maybe he's not a, recently, he's, but he's awesome. he made so many different cool movies. Oh, Flatliners? Yeah, Flatliners is cool. Flatliners is cool. Flatliners is great. But uh, on, Lost, Lost Boys, Boys? amazing. But then something like, and then Tigerland. I remember loving Tigerland when it came out, uh, which is booth? totally different. And phone, yeah, like always really cool, different yeah. genres. Yeah, love love that yeah, in that era. Yeah, I remember watching Lost Boys, and somehow really wanted to play the saxophone. That's the thing. Somehow <laughs> being okay with like, sure, all the cool kids would go down and right. listen to a shirtless muscle man play the saxophone. Why wouldn't they do that? <laughs> right. It's the eighties. But there's a scene at the end of Eight Millimeter where Nick Cage is like, he's just, he's been through it, he's had it, he can't take it anymore, and he's, he just starts crying, he starts doing this like, uh, and the theater I was in erupted with laughter. I'm like, I don't think this was the, I don't think this was the intention. He used to almost fire. Joel Schumacher did. Right, exactly. I think it may have been one of his first movies. Come on. Yeah. And by the way, who wrote Car Wash? Joel Schumacher. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. Who wrote Taking Care Mike, of Business? Mike Drop. Mike Drop. Oh. Jay Abrams. Oh. oh, that's right. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> but also who wrote the line, time to chill. Who wrote that line? Oh. That's probably Joel Schumacher. Oh, okay. Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, but I, I love... Get the gems, kill the heroes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just quoting from the movie. <laughs> Amazing. But when we were here, we were talking about Super 8, and... He, you know, you you were really, it was kind of a period of major transition for you, it felt like. And you said, oh, and we went in there and Spielberg came in and he helped me fix this one thing. So, But you're kind of that now. Like, you're that guy to Yeah, Dan. to me, 100%. So a million percent. Yeah. I, know, I know you might not think that. That's ridiculous. No, it's not. You fucking just directed a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Is there, any, is there any kind of weird postpartum after doing something of that scale where you... Probably your whole life, you go, wow, that would be the ultimate. And then you do it, and it goes well, so what do you feel afterwards? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's, it, it's a funny thing, and you just brought up taking care of business. I, re- I remember my whole life, uh, since I was eight or nine, wanting to be uh, a filmmaker. And it was just this this thing that I just knew, if I was lucky enough to get the shot, would be uh, how I'd want to live my life. Whether I could or not, You know, I didn't know. But it was the thing I wanted forever. And there's that thing that happened for me, and I'm sure we all have our versions of this, that you kind of think, okay, that's somehow the finish line. That's the place you want to get to. And when you get there, you will have become that person, that thing. You will reach a certain level of insight or evolution or whatever that you will feel like I have, I have become that person. That I... And I remember when I was in my last year of college and I ran into uh, a friend, Joel Mazursky, and we came up with an idea and we ended up writing it and then selling this pitch to Disney. And it was taking care of business. And I remember signing these documents and getting paid and I was suddenly a professional screenwriter. And I remember the feeling of not feeling different and how weird that was. And Mm -hmm. then I remember when the movie actually got made, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll see my name on and that was what it was, seeing my name on, and at the time, Jeffrey Abrams was, you know, which is my given name, my full name. I thought, well, I'll go with that. That sounds much more grown up. And I saw Jeffrey Abrams on the screen. I thought, and I, I remember feeling uh, no different and thinking, that's weird. And, <laughs> it, and, and I remember, you know, since then, talking about to aspiring filmmakers how that happens. There isn't that moment where you reach that place and you, you ch- you're always the same 
person. You know, the job that you do, the the work that you do is the same work that you do, whether you're getting paid or not. It's better to get paid than not. Uh, <laughs> whether it's, it's, it's produced or not, it's the same process. And it's interesting that you bring this up because I feel like I have now gone through this kind of gauntlet and and I was lucky enough to get the opportunity. I was lucky enough to be part of that movie and work with all those people and we were all lucky enough to have it go as well as it did. I sit here the way I would have sat here, you know, 10 years ago, the way I will probably sit here 10 years from now. It's like there is not that moment where you go, oh, it feels different. I feel, It's like... I, I don't know about you, but I, I, whether it's a thing I've written or a, a thing that I've uh, directed or whatever it is, I, I know I've done it, and I'm, I, I can talk about the process, but it's somehow impossible that it's happened because when, when you get to the other side of it, you're the same exact person. You've, you know, our experiences shape us a little bit, of course, but um, I, I just honestly, I feel gratitude. And uh, that I'm sitting here at all and that, that I got to be part of something that was as much fun as Force Awakens. Well, also enjoying the process, too, that yeah. you have to it's you have to really and I think that's what people don't understand when they think of when they, when they it's so that finish line mentality. If you think of finish line mentality, you're usually going to be disappointed because mm-hmm. then you're not going to like you said, you're not going to feel any different. Then that's going to mess with your head because you're going to go, why don't I feel any different? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Now yeah. I'm depressed. I got the thing. Well, so you really how, do, you how do you feel having gone no, through your, the exact your first same movie. thing? And I, I think about this all the time. And I know you've said it on this show a bunch, too, is that line from. From Parenthood, Parenthood. movie Parenthood, like there's no spike the ball. You never cross the finish line. You never spike the ball. Yeah, and I feel like, and you have all the spike the ball moments. (laughs) I am Jason Robards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you've had like one of the most you would think spike the ball kinds of moments in a variety of ways, getting that job and then and then nailing that job. Um, But even then, you can you were hearing him say uh, that it isn't that way, and I think that it's like it's two things. It's like one, it's the career thing of. Okay, cool. I did this, but now, like, like even getting this job was first of all pitching with the producers initially, um, and then getting a chance to, to pitch to JJ. So it was like as excited as I was to get that opportunity. It's like now I have to do that. Now I have to make that happen. Um, and then him digging it, and then having to pitch the studio, and then having them dig it, and then the movie still needed to get greenlit. You know, so there's all there's always the next thing. And then even making the movie, as amazing as that is, now it has to be fucking good. Yeah, I can't make a bad movie. I can't be the one guy who made a bad movie with JJ. You know, like I'm the variable there. You know what I mean? Like he's made all these amazing movies. So if this one sucks, it's like, well, whose fault is that? Um, and then <laughs> yours. And then, exactly. No. <laughs> um, I was well aware. Trust me, the whole oh, time. I thought you were asking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, and then now, now having done this movie, it's like, not going to think of, okay, what's the next thing? It has to be better, you know? So, so career wise always, but it's interesting the way that you say it, how it feels the same. Cause that, that to me was the big realization making this was that on the one hand, it felt like uh, technically nothing I'd ever done before. I'd never done something on this scale, but at the same time, it felt exactly like everything I'd done. It felt like making movies in my backyard with my best friends and action figures. And um, I think I think that's also why movies work. That's why stories work, because everyone feels the same feelings. Like when you were a kid and you had a crush on someone, that feeling that happened in you, the, the little butterflies and all that stuff, that's the same feeling that you have. And when you're afraid of something, that, that fear, that rush of fear that you feel, it's the same feeling. It's, it might be of different things and about different things, but it's photo, it's chemically the same process so when you see things in a story that delight or make you feel you know it's you're going through those same emotions that's why we can all sort of 
nod our heads and go, yeah, that that feels true or whatever, you know? Yeah, and the entertainment yeah. business friend-zoned me for a long time like every girl I had a crush on <laughs> when I was a kid. But it, but that feeling of um, uh, uh, of of accomplishment, you should register it a little bit because, you, you know, you – I think you'll do probably 10 movies. You'll do 10 of something over the course of right. several years. You'll still feel the same. But then I think there's that Karate Kid moment where it's like, show me, send off. And you're like, oh, uh-huh. my God. How do I – I know all this stuff and I didn't realize it's in my head. Totally. And I think that's where J.J. is too. It's like – I always – it's funny you say the Karate Kid thing, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. But it's also like – um, when you play Super Mario Brothers and the first time you played, you're like inching towards every jump and being very careful <laughs> and calculated. But then uh, after you've died a million times because there's no saves in that game, the first levels you've like mastered and then it's no, and you hold B to run through it. <laughs> yeah. And it's no longer about like just making the jump. It's like you're trying to put little it's muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. All, it's all muscle memory. Yeah. But because I hope, you know, and I mean, or that you have a, at least some concept of, you know, even if this movie doesn't make a billion dollars, right. I think it's going to do really great. Yeah. But even if it I think this is going to this is going to open so many. I mean, everyone. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is amazing. This movie yeah. and John Goodman. Like, everyone is amazing in the movie. And without giving too much away. It's not really one genre of movie. It really kind of – I don't want to give it away again, but there, but there's a lot of different things. But it's still a simple story, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of an incredible and kind of an incredible thing. Yeah, totally. I think that that was what was exciting to us is that you're really um, – that it, that it combines genres, you know, and that and – that, I think there's there's parts of this movie that are very familiar and very similar to other movies. There's very much like Misery um, or Dead Calm in, in many ways. But then there there's another way in which this movie functions that is kind of incomparable, was, which made it challenging. It was very hard to find comparison um, to other movies in, in broad. Um, but that is super exciting. I think um, one of the – besides getting a chance to make a movie period and make a movie uh, for Bad Robot, um, the idea of making something that would not – be quiet you know there, there's i don't think there's a version that you walk out of this movie and shrug and go to dinner and just not talk about it i, I think yeah. no matter uh what your feelings are you will be talking about the movie when you walk out which is a really awesome thing especially in a time when um tv is so awesome and you really want a reason to go to the theater um this is a great communal experience to have not just for all the Hopefully, screams that occur amidst you, and um, and but to really have an experience like, did we just watch that together? Did that just happen? Um, is a really uh, cool thing. Well, it's a story that you're always chasing as an audience member because every time you go, oh, I because once you're in a movie, once when you're watching a movie and you get to that point, where you go, oh, I get it. It's it's it can be kind of over at that mm-hmm. point because then people kind of go on autopilot, right? And if that happens early in a movie, and that's obviously early, but but it's one of those movies where you go, oh, I think. Okay, I think I get it. Oh, no. Okay, now I – no, I don't – you know, and so it always – it stays just – there's this kind of like story carrot that's just out of your reach that you are constantly chasing in the movie. And it's it really is – it really is fantastic. I, I'm curious when – what does someone have to pitch to you? What 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 is a pitch to J.J. Abrams that makes you go, 
yeah, I think this is something that I what happens has to happen in a pitch for you to get behind it. Obviously, you know, like any of us, it's like there's no one thing. It's it, it's sort of like saying what's the joke that makes you laugh. It's like the funny one, you know. <laughs> well, the like farts. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. Sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please. But but uh, you know, this was a, a a pitch I had heard before I read the the script that was submitted, and it was the idea was so compelling. You know, what happens if. Uh, you are in an accident and need saving, but what happens if the person that saved you might be crazy? And what happens if you're told it's incredibly dangerous outside, but then you realize it's terrifying inside? And it was just such a twilight zone to go back to that, you know, example premise that it it, it immediately got me excited because I just felt like I want to see that that movie. And then we started developing the story a little bit and, and playing with the genre stuff a little bit and, and just sort of pushing limits and doing things that made it clearly, overtly a kind of, you know, fever dream, insane thing that kind of defied easy description. And once Dan came on and, and came in and was so clear with a kind of tone and and modulation and, and vision for it, a kind of grounded, it's, a, it's as much a drama as anything, but that allows it to be really funny and really twisted and really terrifying and really unexpected. It just felt like, you know, though I had never met Dan, it felt like, oh my God, that's exactly what this movie needs. And I knew I was going to be going off to do a Star Wars movie. Lindsay uh, Weber, the uh, other producer, knew Dan beforehand and was such a, a a champion for him and I just I trust Lindsay implicitly and I just felt like given my experience with Dan given Lindsay uh even though I was not going to be around for the shoot uh it it felt like such an obvious um you know like any collaboration uh leap of faith but a, a risk to take and the risk was a low risk it wasn't a huge budget movie and it was a very you know obviously accomplished storyteller and someone who while he hadn't done a feature before was was a wonderful communicator of the movie he wanted to make. And I think you did literally the exact thing you said you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Of course, making discoveries along the way, and, and as you always do. But it was uh, a great collaboration. I loved it. Well, it, when you go off to make a Star Wars movie, or do you basically say to everyone, unless the building is on fire, do not <laughs> bother me because I need to focus on this? Uh, you know, we have... Uh, there were some things that went sideways while I was away. There were some uh, TV uh, projects we had that did not go in any way the way we wanted it to. There were some things that, that I wish had happened differently. And, you know, part of it is uh, who you're collaborating with and making sure that you're making the, the best possible choices. Part of it is my being delinquent. Uh, when I was working on the Star Wars movie, uh, I, I should have known how unavailable I was going to be. And... Even if I had been available, who's to say I would have helped anything? It might have, you know, it might have gone so much better than it had if I'd been involved. Uh, so you, know, you never quite know. And like I mean it, everything's a leap of faith. You never know. You know, when you sit down to do every, you know, interview, you can't know if it's going to be as boring as this one with me right now. You, can't, you, know, you, know, you, you never would have shown up. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I'm sorry. Just, uh, yeah, I just had just to strip it off for a second. Nudge Chris. But, but, but I, I do think that there are, um, you know, that the, there are things that. I had to overlook when I was in, in London working on that movie. But I was doing post here for over a year uh, in this building. So I got to at least, you know, get to be uh, witness to or pulled into things that, that 
for one reason or another, might, might need my attention. But even when he was shooting, I was very impressed uh, uh, that because I would think all I'd want to do is think about uh, that movie. I would not want anything entering my focus. But we would still he would watch all of our dailies, um, and the idea of of him being uh, on the Millennium Falcon, looking at shots that we were concocting, was overwhelming. Um, but uh, and, yeah, I, but they were the really, laughing. That's so crazy. I know it's the insane. Laugh. The actual, not like a pretend one that no, he made, the, like one. the real one, the yeah. actual one. But they were really they were, they were really fun dailies to watch, honestly. Um, and it, it wasn't like uh, it was a headache that I had to. You know, it was a little bit like. When we were not shooting, when we were waiting for things, as anyone who's been on a set knows, there's yeah. there are long pauses where you're waiting for the thing to be set up. Um, you mean it, Harrison Ford? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, hardly. He, he, was, he was the last person we were waiting for. He was. He, by the way, Harrison, it should be known, uh, would arrive on set before they would ever call for him. And he would be there ready to go. He is so consummate professional, mm-hmm. you know, the definition of consummate professional. Um, so the, the, the very truth is that he was the last person we were waiting for. There were other people, Boyega. But listen, <laughs> but, I was, but, but it, it was always fun watching these dailies. Well, the, yeah. the, the great thing about Harrison Ford is at Comic Con a few years ago, he was Surly Harrison Ford. Right, I remember. Sort of like, I was there. The handcuff for, for yeah. the hand, the um uh, for Cowboys vs. Aliens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. actually, no, it was for en- Ender's Game. Oh, Ender's Game. Yeah, Cowboys vs. Aliens was the year there was the stabbing. Yes, which I was there. I was sitting two rows away from it. I was there for that, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Um, Ender's Game, wasn't Ender's Game after Cowboys Nailing? It was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but he was there for Cowboys. He was there for Cowboys, for for sure. He was there for Cowboys first, which I think was 2011, maybe, and then a couple, two or three years ago for uh, for Ender's Game. And he was, he was surly, he was surly Harrison Ford, you know, like, People would uh, get up to ask questions and be like, what would Han Solo say if he met uh, Indiana Jones? And be like, ah, hello. He was that guy. (laughs) So it was like he was pretend grouchy but maybe a little grouchy too. But at the panel we did this past year, Mm. he was so – seemed genuinely moved by everything. He seemed so into it and thankful and gracious and and he was really, really lovely. You could not be more right, honestly. I don't know what changed or if he just – or if he was just in a good – I don't know what it was, but it really – I imagine this is actually a part of the equation, is starting to work on Star Wars again, but with someone who, you know, was making it awesome and not, not – uh, Well, look, I, I've known Harrison since 1990 and uh, when we did Regarding Henry and, and getting to work with him uh, in this way, which, you know, was a scary proposition, you know, to direct him, not just to be writing something, but to direct him and not just direct Harrison Ford, but him as Han Solo. It was like impossible to know what that would be like. And then when um, that accident happened and he was hurt and he was off for a little while, I I think that the the combination of being back in this role of being reminded of your mortality, of, of being in a role where the character, you know, literally meets his demise in the movie. There are all these things that were, that were like, I think it's a very different thing to be where he is now in his life and be dealing with those, those stories and being, you know, 30-something years old uh, and doing Return of the Jedi and begging to be killed. I think that, that there's, there's a sort of, you know, as Han Solo himself uh, has, I think Harrison... You know, he's lived these years. He's a wiser guy than he was. He's uh, he's so brilliant. Uh, I've never worked with an actor who knows the thing to do before you would ever ask him to do it. Like, you know, he knows where the camera is. He is so, like, 
the last great movie star. You know, he's like he is that guy, and he just knows exactly what needs to happen. Uh, I, I more often than not would throw a, uh, throw an, an idea out to him. He would sort of complete the sentence and do the thing, and I would just say thank you. Like it was like he because he just he knew how to do it in the next take, as opposed to getting there and spending four or five takes to make it work. Um, but I think that his appreciation for being this guy in this in this movie with this cast, that he had so much fun with Daisy. He had so much fun with, with Boyega. And he, he it was like watching him with Carrie again. They would laugh, like the things that they would say. And she's so, you know, out there with her brilliant, you know, humor. And he got it. And it, it was like a little bit of a reunion that, they got to celebrate because they could appreciate doing it, which you can't do when you're 20 or 30 years old. Right. Understanding how this business works, understanding right. how lucky we all are to be here at all. You know, it, they came to the party with knowing what the rest of the world is like, you yeah. know, knowing what it is to, you know, be out there and see people who they know, you know, maybe uh, not have the the lives, the careers uh, that, that they did, maybe not even be alive anymore. You know what I mean? Here they are, not only still standing, but as good as ever. And I think that they could appreciate the opportunity. And it was it was beautiful to see. Well, now, okay, so this is the perfect time for my pitch uh, to, um, it's called Regarding Henry. So when he <laughs> lands at the bottom of the thing, after he's been stabbed by Kylo Ren, he's not dead. He doesn't die. He just forgets who he is. Oh, my gosh. And then they has to be rehabilitated, yes. and Leia's got to come in, oh. and, and it's a whole separate... You this know, it's basically awesome. like... <laughs> Instead of Ajax, it's R2 or something yeah, that he's repeating. <laughs> you over. know, so it's, yeah. it's a different type of a story in this yeah. universe, because I feel like the Star Wars universe is expansive enough... What's it called? Regarding Henry? <laughs> yeah, no, I've, Henry. I, just, I just wanted to see if you, if you had the guts to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> because amazing. you know that it's such an amazing idea that you're going to go do it, so right. you just wanted to make sure it was that funny. I was there okay was uh, in in the year the movie came out. There was a a, a, a porn film called Regarding Heine. Yes, I, re- I remember that. And uh, I I really? bought yeah, and I yeah, bought it. And I, had, I, I had the I didn't box. See it? I just remembered. And I remember I, I had the the box on a on a shelf uh, when you first come into my house. I lived in and anyway. And my friend uh, David Spade came over one day. He was like, oh, what's this? And he opened the box and he took the tape and he never gave it back. <laughs> you really want it back at this point? Now, I don't know where the How box is either. He's up his spot right now. He just, he took that tape. So, uh... Well, there were a handful of like, when when they started really parodying totally. mainstream films, it was like Edward Penis pork. Hands, Jurassic yeah. Pork, Regarding Heine. Saving Ryan's, Ryan's Privates. Yeah, yeah, yeah all that stuff. There's a really... The classic. Totally. Yeah. And so, it. I, I mean, listen, I just think the Star Wars universe could could handle uh, a, a family <laughs> just say drama. One more, he didn't say, even... Say, say one more you time. really went back say in. One more time. You're, you're really uh, persistent. Re- regarding yeah. Henry. <laughs> regarding Henry. I think it's awesome. Henry. I actually always wanted... I can't believe I'm taking this road with it, but uh, the Darth Darth Maul's demise. Um, I always felt Maulrat like he was gonna like he was gonna come back with like a robotic. Well, that was a whole thing. Then it happened in, Re- in Rebels or did, the cartoon, yeah. yeah. Um, but I wanted that to be. I thought no brain because it was as we all know, nobody, you know, nobody, no death in in genre roles, you know. So I felt like no, mm. no way he's not. Right. You know, it's just it's just one of those. It's just. It is one of those universes that literally is its own separate industry because even if you even if you did like a like a like a, a Spinal Tap tour documentary with Figure and Dan and the modal nodes, I would watch it. Like there, yeah. there's so much 
there's so there's everything's so granular and every character everything is something that you could branch off and and entirely be its be its own thing agreed and when you were when we did the panel last year it was we had this rehearsal the night before <clears throat> And I think the thing that was the most impressive to me, because I was already excited about seeing it, I was already super jazzed. Your your little inst your your Instagram videos of, because I remember when Force Awakens when the name first came out, people were like, "Force Awakens, what's this about?" Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of, "Huh, what?" Mm-hmm. And then you posted that first Instagram video, and people were like, "Oh, oh wait, yeah, oh wait a minute," you know. And then and then watching the excitement build up through Comic Con last year. And seeing you and and Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy and Brian Burke and other and and just Larry, all, Larry Kazan and, and Larry Larry Kazan yeah not Frank I'm not Frank but Frank Frank, Frank, Frank was actually there Frank was there was there he was with there Ka- for was he there for Jurassic he was in the Jurassic. he was at the uh, he was in the rehearsal because he was there with oh Kathleen. that's right that's right and then and Lawrence Kazan yeah. as well but you you were all laughing but you were also very human about the whole thing and it wasn't like a Boy, we're sure gonna make a lot of money on this. You, you know, you were so sincere about. I just want people to like it. I care about it. I don't know if people are gonna like it. I think they are, but this is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And it and and that kind of that it was almost like a fan approach to them. It's almost it's almost kind of a fan film in a, in a weird sort in a weird sort of way. Do you feel that? Feel like that? You know, I, I don't know if anyone working on a uh, a saga or a series of movies or even a show, you know, on some level. Isn't doing that because it it pre-exists. My guess is the people who are doing it are doing it because they love it, that they care about it. So you could argue that that's true. But you said you weren't that huge of a Star Trek fan, and you still made a good Star Trek movie. True, but I also said that that in working on it, I actually started to see the things that you know. I wish I'd given more of a shot when I was growing up because I had friends who loved it, and mm-hmm. I just never did. And I started to love it, you know, as a late adopter. But I I I loved it because I'd gotten to know it. And I saw how powerful those relationships were and what Roddenberry had created and the whole sort of paradigm and the, that notion of unity and the optimistic future. And there were so many things that I hadn't appreciated just because I'd never really given it the chance. <clears throat> but I think that with, with you know, uh, going to Comic-Con uh, with that movie, uh, with the trailer, it was, it was you know, with the behind-the-scenes feature, I think it was, it was a very uh, – it was, it was another scary, you know, uh, sort of um, – uh, threshold to cross because it was like every time we revealed something we didn't know what the hell the reaction was going to be and of course we anticipated that there would always be blowback from some corners and some people and of course there there are I mean you're never going to make something that everyone's going to like uh, and yet uh, except this podcast apparently of course <laughs> but but it, 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 it's it's an amazing thing to to you know see how generous the fans were and, and it was it's really a testament to how much they wanted to go back to that place that they that George created that they love so much. I, I just I just think seeing people you know some of whom have been working in the business for a long time still having the kind of child especially I mean Kathleen Kennedy is someone that I completely worship. I mean she is she is partially responsible for almost everything that I love. You know what's amazing? Have you ever been to her office? No. Uh, can I? No, she's not. She's she only, she only right, yeah, yeah. go. No, but but uh, you, you should break in because uh, the, there's a shelf that she has near her desk that just happens to have like like all the great American movies, and she's produced all of them. Yeah. Like, really? you look oh, at, you have a great collection. I, at, I, I love those movies, and you forget and like, that she you, you yeah. could name all the movies that she produced, and you would be leaving out half the movies she produced. You can't believe right. the movies she's made, and and it is she's unbelievable, and. You can talk about something 
and she can sort of nod and say yes and then tell her personal story having been involved in the actual creation of the you know prep the shoot the post of of, of films that you know are uh, the obvious ones and then the ones that you can't you don't even remember that she was involved in. Do you think, dear God, mm-hmm. how did she do all this? It just she's she's unbelievable. And when you talk to her, it's kind of the same thing. We're like, well, I don't know. This is just a thing that we did. We right. we solved these problems, and and that's kind of that's what's kind of exciting for you, I would imagine, as you're sort of standing on the precipice of this now, this 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 career, this hopefully long career ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And there might be a point in thirty or forty years where we're like, how did you make, you know, that. Regarding Henry, yeah, which was such a great title well, that you I had to go it. make it. I was yeah, like, no one's going to say that. was so in love <laughs> No with one's going to say that. They said, Dan, you got to right. rush out and make this movie. Right, right. And, you know, and I'm sure for you. Was that Jason Robards? <laughs> no, no, no. Jason Robards oh, is here yeah, for yeah, your treasure. Yeah, forget that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's off to find Peter Pan. Uh, I've made him Irish now, or like a weird, I don't know. Wait, what was the Peter, what's the Peter Pan thing with Jason? I just, I just, I made him a pirate, oh, okay. and so then oh, I turned Hook. him into Captain got Hook, got it, got and it, then got I it. just assumed that he got was it. trying to find Peter Pan. Got it. Are you going to pitch Parent Hook? <laughs> you never cross the finish line. You never spike Let's the about ball, Dan's whatever that means. No, you know, know what I was going to say, though, when you were talking about um, Force Awakens, the title, and, 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 um... And how appreciative JJ always seemed about making and all that stuff. There, it, it, what I thought was so cool—I can't believe if I ever mentioned this to you or not—but I thought about it a lot. Um, was that I feel like I'm sure there's a lot of bad versions of doing a, a Star Wars movie again, but I think that there's also probably a number of of good versions as well. But but it was the way you guys chose to make it, um, like specifically that title. Um, is genius and like it, it's functioning in for the movie's purposes for the actual story that the movie's telling but it's also functioning in a way for the audience for too. the audience but then also all of the marketing the first teaser and then that thing and then finally getting to Chewie, we're home. Like th- those were um, every grown man right. cried in because front of their that, computer that is when really that happened. Acknowledging <laughs> the audience's relationship to the movie and and the story of the movie, the way that the the movie unfolds, um, you always feel like it's speaking. You're, you're like so you're so invested in the story because it feels like you like the fact that there's a character who heard of Luke Skywalker but isn't sure if it's true. You know all those things. Well, that's what got me like, excited when I first talked to Kathleen right. about it, and and then we knew in the material in the teasers that we needed to talk to the fans mm. we needed to say we're with you in this way and, right. and so that there was an an intention there but it, it was you know every step was terrifying that's, that's you just don't know part, though is it going to work that's yeah. the interesting part is you as the filmmakers having this meta conversation with the audience of right. like we know what you're worrying about. We know it's going to be okay. This is, you know, it's in good hands. Although I, I would have pitched this as an opening. Uh, everyone gets in the screen. Everyone sits down. And the screen, the shoes come back, and the screen opens. Uh, and then Jar Jar comes on and just goes, <laughs> "It's a me, everybody!" <laughs> and then a lightsaber just cuts him in half, and his body folds in half, and then the crawl. So if you wanted to do maybe, that for like a DVD, maybe for regarding Henry. <laughs> That can be the opening. <laughs> See, it's even he's, yeah, I'm picking up next on project. it. I'm next generation. I'm telling JJ, JJ. Yeah, this yeah. is gonna yeah. it's gonna be three o'clock in the morning, and regarding Henry's gonna pop into your head, and you're gonna start getting ideas for it. It's gonna it's gonna be a brainworm yeah. that's gonna infect. It already your brain. is. It already is. I'm already already thinking about things. Were well, you already thinking about the next thing? Have you already thought about the next thing? Or are you just I trying mean, to get through Cloverfield? We, we really we we finished this movie uh, very recently. 
um, and which is awesome, uh, which is the blessing and the curse of, of technology now is that you can finish so soon. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure like a Mission Impossible, you probably that was still film prints and it wasn't we weren't where yeah. we are now. So yeah. you weren't able to to cut down be down to the wire so yeah. much. But the idea we can really make things as perfect as we want to make them um, uh, is so awesome and such a privilege. But it means that we really were working until the very last second. Um, so I was so focused on that. I mean, there, there was some things. There was a movie that I had in development before making this um, called Crime of the Century. It's like a big science fiction heist movie um, that is super cool and really original and something that I would love to do. Um, but uh, that we, we still be developing on, so there's 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 no big next thing. You said you said something that I want to ask both of you about, which is you know you can make things perfect until the, but yeah. do you ever do you feel like the pursuit of this kind of amorphous yeah. idea of perfection? No, is, it's not. Is, In is fact, after we've harmful? seen it after the premiere, I was like, yeah, there, you know, there's still some things that I was. He's, he's, he's like, it's 98 percent awesome. It's 98 <laughs> percent, you know, like you can't. It's really hard, and you kind of I do. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, I get, I get the temptation to always want to go back and and make the movie as good as it possibly can. I, I understand that in a new way now, for sure. Can you, can you, uh, do you have a definitive moment where you go, aha, it's done, or do you always feel like, ah, if I just had more time, if I just had more this, if I just had more that? You know, you always want more time, and at the same time, you know, because it's a collaboration, and I try to surround myself not by yes people. But by tire kickers, people who go, I don't know, you know, let's look at it again. Let's, you know, and so sometimes I will be feeling like I think this is what the sequence needs to be or what, you know, even the whole movie. And I'll have someone, you know, in the case of uh, Force Awakens, it was either like Michelle Rejwan, who's one of the producers or Brian Burke, one of the producers who, you know, the editors too, who would sort of, you know, nudge me and say, this isn't as funny as it could be, I don't think, or this doesn't really land or I'm not feeling that. So. It's sort of, you know, you go into it as many times as you can and you sort of look at it and, of course, you lose your perspective and you sort of bring in some people you trust who can tell you, you know, from the outside. But, you know, the the thing that I, I'm always so uh, um, envious of is that, you know, that kid who's drawing a picture in class and, you know, a little kid and then they're like, I'm done. And you're like, oh. You're okay with that? Now, now part of it might be that they just want to go out and play. Part of it might be that they're you know easily distracted. Uh, But I do think that there is there is a moment where you can work on things, overthink things, and go too far, and begin to shave off. One of the things I I admire enormously about uh, what Dan did in in this in Ten Cloverfield Lane is he really let things hold. And you could argue in this age of you know, insanely quick cuts that this movie, if you were to almost to look on the editing, you know, timeline, the avid timeline, my guess is that this movie has infinitely fewer cuts than most movies that are coming out now because the movie is just so confidently told, is so still in its in its storytelling and allows things to sink in and, and, and seep in and go deeper. And it's the thing that I think allows it to get under your skin and, and makes it a, a unique experience in addition to of course the performances and and the camera work and everything but there's something about the pace of it and I love that you didn't work on it so um, concerned with you know trying to keep it moving at all times you know it was, it was not about the speed it was about the tension it was about the terror it was about the you know the reality of the moment and it required that you hold on on moments so that the main character can really start to 
piece it together. And the audience is with her, I think, at every step. I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead is truly remarkable in this movie. I think she did an amazing job. Agreed. And I think mm-hmm. it, it was because Dan allowed it to breathe, allowed it to sort of, you know, happen. And I just, I think you can, you can, you know, you can make mis- mistakes in any direction. But I really loved how you uh, allowed the movie to sort of find its rhythm and not get so close to it that you were just almost getting bored with it and wanting to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. get get it going, get it going. Because the movie could have probably been five minutes shorter and arguably just the same, you know, story. But the fact that it lets it just sit and lets things, you know, simmer, I just think is what makes it as powerful as it is. What's your favorite part of the process? Um, actually, it was, it was the prep phase. Um, because uh, that, A... There's so there's there's so much promise. Then, like the movie can be. We haven't shot it yet. Uh, we have we aren't we aren't looking at the footage. We aren't like oh I wish I had this or that or whatever. Everything you're talking about is all very exciting, um, and uh, there was something very cool about going to an office every day. This is a job that you don't often, at least for me. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to an office. And as a kid, I always really envied the idea of like wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase and having things in a briefcase that I went to an office <laughs> and I'm sure I would actually hate that job but this came the closest I had an office we would all have meetings and with sterile lighting and and talk about the blueprints and the design of the the set and there was just something cool looking around and standing amongst grown men and women taking very seriously the idea of make believe you know mm-hmm. that was it's like this is the same thing that we would talk about as kids in our backyard, but like, but we're we're not we're adults, um, and this is what we all have to take it very seriously. We really need to build this and all that, but it's all to help further the character or the story or make this exciting thing happen. And like that is so and I will much tell you, fun. It, the, yeah. the very thing you're saying is the same thing that Steven Spielberg still to this day feels and talks about, mm. which is that th- this amazing how lucky it is to get to be part of that. And it, it's it's not that that you or he are in any way unsophisticated. It's like, it's that childlike appreciation for the process of getting to create an illusion and and play make-believe and then show it to people, you know? And it's like, that's the thing that as you are beginning your career, it's like, you know, that's the thing I think that is critical to hold on to Mm. is never lose sight of how lucky it is to take the job very seriously and and sort of laugh every step of the way and, and, and appreciate how impossible it is that we get to do this at all. And well, JJ's really, I want to say too, um, cause it speaks to that. Handsome. Um, yes. Smoking, ha- smokingly handsome. It's so obvious. Um, striking. I mean, striking. I, mean, I can't, I can't even look at you guys. It's okay. like, 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 so <laughs> striking. And I'm going to, I feel, uh, right. I'm going to get right. you to vomit. Yeah. Right. Cause it's so, I got just, I'm overwhelmed. It's intense. It's very intense. Yeah. Um, the, he, you know, JJ very much encourages, um, trying to accomplish, hi-fi results in a lo-fi way. Uh, specifically, there's the car crash in the beginning of the movie, and we had done some stuff on a gimbal, this really sophisticated piece of equipment that shakes a car and moves around and all that stuff. And he uh, really championed the idea of getting some additional stuff that could be more intimate with the character, um, that w- all we needed was her performing the hell out of it and moving the camera around. And that stuff is the is the better moments of that car accident. Um, 
And not only is it did it make the movie better, did it make the story better, did it make the scene better, but it also made the process more fun. Like I found myself like, oh, this is so much more rewarding. You're right. It really is pulling off a magic trick. Like people don't even know. It's one thing for them to not to think something looks cool when you when you made it using a cool tool. Right. But it's another thing to do it in the most homegrown way possible and it still look as expensive as but you know, that is a special kind of rewarding feeling. Um that that he is you know huge on and uh, and and really encouraged that throughout the whole process. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you took away from the Star Wars movie? At, when you got to the other side of it, what did you feel like? You must learn loads every time you get behind a camera and go through that process. What did you learn the most from this? It's really what what Dan is talking about, which is that the 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 the, the moments that you need the some of the most important moments are things that uh you have to sometimes get later that you have to you know we we shot uh nearly 10 minutes of the movie here um in the stage next door and it was getting moments getting shots getting pieces that were missing from uh the scenes when we were shooting them and sometimes it was rewriting things but a lot of times it was about these incredible critical intimate moments that when you're shooting a big sequence or you're shooting anything you you're getting you know obviously the big gross motor function stuff you know you need but when it gets to sort of the fine motor skill things sometimes you just don't have the focus because you're trying to make the day you got to make sure you're getting the stuff so for example when we were shooting uh the first star trek movie we did there's that whole scene uh near the opening when the young kirk is stealing the corvette and he's driving in the car and he's being chased by a cop and we shot this whole thing over a couple days and we had this kid on this rig and and we had this you know cop uh, uh, vehicle that was on this this uh, arm that was, you know, allowing... So it, it was this huge thing in the middle of farmland, and it was just... We had a ton of stuff to get, and we got all of it that we, that we could or that we needed to, and we cut the whole thing together. And when it came to doing a trailer for the movie, they showed me this one cut, and it had this moment with the kid, and I thought, God, you know... It's just so not as good as it needs to be. And I I had never really thought – we hadn't reshot anything for that movie. And I thought, you know, God, if we could only get – we were doing the sound mix at, at Fox. If we could only get that shot of that kid and change his, his reading. And they said, well, why don't you shoot it? And I thought, oh, of course. You know, <laughs> I hadn't done that and, and we didn't really do any reshoots on Mission 3 either. So I thought, okay, great. Let's, let's try that. So while we were doing the mix, we went – to the uh, the parking garage uh, at Fox, we got the car because I said, "Well, if we're going to do that, I'd love to get a couple close ups of the kid in the car." So it was very much like the car crash with Michelle. So we we mm-hmm. got the kid, and he had to wear a wig because his hair was different entirely. Um, and he showed up, and we had the car, and we did the beat where young Kirk sort of stands up, having just almost fallen into this big you know uh, uh, quarry, and he stands up to basically say what his name is. Uh, James T. Kirk, and uh, and so while we had the kid, I also got him driving. It's a long story, but uh, it has a point. And so uh, we then got him driving. We just shook the camera and had the kid. But there are eleven shots in that sequence that uh, we shot at the Fox parking lot that are of the kid driving, him looking back, him screaming, and kind of rebellion. All these things that that we just didn't know we needed exactly when we were shooting with the Russian arm and the car and the rig and the kid. And so you just, the, the answer to your question is, you know, you learn in the editing room, you know, 
always what you wish you had to make the sequence that much more fun, that much funnier. And the thing you never will regret is getting those close-ups of mm-hmm. the actors, of the characters, of their eyes, of their experience. Because it's literally the thing that, that keeps the audience in the scene. And you can have the coolest, biggest, craziest you know, CG fest ever, uh, but none of it will matter if you're just looking at figures of you know, people at a distance or a God's eye view. It's like you need to be in the face of the characters, I think, to – and it sounds maybe obvious, but I, I, I see it again and again and again. When I look at a sequence that I've done, I realize I don't feel a thing. And I realize, oh, my God, I'm missing – that moment. So, for example, when Ray and Kylo Ren are, are fighting in the woods with the lightsabers, and there's that moment when he says, you know, I can show you the ways of the Force, and she hears the Force, and she closes her eyes, and, and then you see him looking at her, and her eyes are closed, and then, you know, she sort of lets it in. We did that, you know, next door, and, and we did those shots, which had never been part of the, the script or whatever, because I knew when we were cutting it, I was missing the turning point moment where she goes from almost being on the edge of, of you know, the, the cliff, almost meeting her demise to turning the tables and fighting back. And so we did that here, and, and it, it made the scene powerful, and it was literally as close as you could possibly get to her face, and it was all about her eyes, all about his eyes. Um, but when we were at Pinewood, shooting on that massive stage with, you know, literally hundreds of trees and, you know, hundreds of people, and it was just, you know, getting those close-ups, we just didn't, think to do it because you're just trying to make the days work. So it's the same thing. That lesson is the same lesson that I think you learn whether you're doing an episode of a TV show, the first film you're doing or the latest star Wars movie. It's always the same kind of thing. You have to get those details or nothing will work. So just out of curiosity. Um, so it is Luke, her father, like, do you want to just, <laughs> um, and then what happens next? Right. Can you? I'll, I'll give you Ryan's number and you can call him. <laughs> ask him. The, the only thing that I love about not directing the next movie is that like, you get yeah. to forward everything to Ryan. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that is kind of a, that must feel like a, <sighs> yeah, but that yeah, will, but I... people are still going to bug him. I mean, they're really going to bug him. Oh, yeah, him. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not going to happen. I'm just going to get business cards with Ryan's phone number printed out. You know what you stepped into. I mean, it yeah. is, a, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing universe, but it's also. Actually, we'll know. We will stop bugging you because we're going to know. Like, that's what's so cool. We're going to we find out. Like, that's not a, it's not the end of Jedi. It's but you know, like we're having more. But it's yeah. also, but it's like you said, well, you never know how the audience is going to react. And I, I, I interviewed George Lucas for something like four, four years ago. And off camera, he was very personable and conversational. But then when we started the official thing, mm. he just like totally buttoned up and he wouldn't really give an opinion on anything. Mm. And I realized like, oh, yeah, because every time he opens his right. mouth. Half the people are like, you're a genius. And half the people are like, you suck. You know, and it's just like he just doesn't want to, you know, the thing is bigger than he is. So are you are you okay with just letting it all kind of be whatever it's going to be? Look, entering this world was without question uh, a it was unknown territory. It was a risky thing. It obviously is. It means so much to so many people. So it can be like a divisive thing. Any decision. there are immediate uh, opinions about, but I also know that that uh, it, it was an opportunity of a lifetime, and um, I, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been been part of it. I, I also know it's it is bigger than George. It's bigger than than all of us. I mean, that that thing he created, uh, which you know, there's all sorts 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 of sort of revisionist history about what 
was written at the beginning and what everyone always knew. But the fact is, we all saw it was called Revenge of the Jedi until it was called Return of the Jedi. Like, it, we know things change as they went along. It's like, that's beautiful. And it's what storytelling is. And it's cool. No way, no way did anyone, I, I think, uh, predict what Star Wars was going to mean, you know, even if even if he did think there would be a few movies or six movies or nine movies, whatever it is, like you cannot predict something like that. So the the power of entering, you know, the power of Star Wars and entering that world, uh, you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter in, in some ways what any of us say. It's sort of it's its own thing that so many people invest in and certainly you know not the least of which are the fans and and i just think it's really great to hear and i think it's really great especially for young content creators or young or old it doesn't matter but just the idea that you know the process is what's important being flexible is sounds like is the most important thing being able to sort of be structured but flexible in the moment Mm -hmm. because you never know what's but i think dan did this and and it it does not matter what it is it's always the same thing but to be open to the better idea yeah. at every stage. Yeah, you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, big. T- I mean, I mean, I, the thing I, I realized early on too, and it being my first thing, that it'd be stupid for me to to pretend like it wasn't my first thing. Um, and I really uh, loved that we found awesome collaborators in every position, and I never wanted to tell anyone. Um, this is, I mean, there are some things, certainly when you're visioning something, some things that you like see very clearly and like, I really want it to be that way. I think that'd be so great. And, and how do we navigate things to get it to be that way? But there are also so many things where I know what I want it to feel like. I know this much about it, but I really want to listen to what you have to say, my production designer or my cinematographer or whatever. Because if you're just telling everyone what to do, then the thing will only be as good as what you can come up with. Mm-hmm. But um, if, if you listen to other people, like it has a chance of being much better than what your one mind can can think of so um that the whole time uh and 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 trying to be egoless about things because ultimately um like every genius thing that jj said um uh, but then he would every like every one but, but then, 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 then he would like regret and like oh maybe maybe that's not good like i often had to like like convince like some of some of working with him was was saying no no, no i we need to do that thing you said that thing you said is awesome let's do that um but like, so, but all yeah. I, one of my favorite things about working with you is that all of us in whatever room it was, editing room, visual effects review, you know, uh, Let's talk mixing about this stage for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, but 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 it was uh, you were open to the better idea, and and you knew, uh, as I think one must, that it doesn't always come from you. Yeah, it comes yeah. from the person who's been really focusing on that thing, or the person who got a life perspective that's not yours at all, who says, well, what wouldn't she think feel this? In the case of, of, you know, Michelle, this is a female character who, you know, I, I know this sounds obvious, but having people like Lindsay Weber to fight for what she thought Michelle, you know, should or should not be about, you mm-hmm. know, what her sort of story is. I mean, we changed some fundamental ideas about kind of where she came from and where she was going at the end of the movie, partly because we wanted to build her up. And so Lindsay had amazing ideas, as did other people. But I just loved how the process was about, you know, being comfortable and safe to throw out ideas, good or bad, and let them, you know, we used to have this thing working on on, uh, Alias back in the day 
where uh, we would always say, you know, let it suck for a second, which is like, it's yes, okay. Totally. It's totally. okay to t- talk about it in the worst way yeah. and to say, you know, here's a pitch. And, and if someone were to say, well, come on, that's no good. It's like, well, hold on a second. Just let it, let's talk about it for a second. Cause that's a great it, bit if, of advice. If the version so, that sucks, you know, advice. actually has a, a chance, it actually might develop into something that proves itself to be really powerful. And you were always yeah. open to that. That is the one thing that I have a very, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say short leash. It's not like I ever get that angry, but things that I have I have a hard time with are when people like laugh at ideas or, or get dismissive about things or judge things because um, everything sounds really silly when you're first saying, or not everything, but things can sound really silly. And sometimes those things, even me, even things that um, someone would say, I mean, there was, there's a, I don't want to be specific, but there's a cool moment um, that someone threw out in one of our um, uh, reviews uh, uh, and, and it was really funny silly idea when they first said it and then I was like wait that actually would be awesome we should definitely do that you know and um so I, yeah it, it, it's 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 you really do need to let it things suck for a second and just always explore every everything's worth exploring you mean um, that moment where john goodman turns into a godzilla creature yeah i mean i thought that i didn't mean to give really that good. away yeah i didn't mean to give that away well i i think i think i think when you get when you're faced with those moments i think the most important thing you can do is go okay well how could we make it work I feel like we focus a lot. I focus a lot on this mm. podcast about like ask good questions. Mm. So if all these things, if they seem ridiculous, how could they work? Because then if you still can't come up with an answer, then maybe it wouldn't work. But maybe someone has something that collaboratively will create something better That's interesting. than anything. Yeah. yeah, I really I think I think asking good questions is the most important. I'm not saying I do it all no, the time. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Yeah, That's what absolutely. I would like. Yeah. That's what I would like to do. Yeah. Um, so I guess this is, we're, I mean, we're about wrapping up. This is it. Sad. I'm sad it's over. Should we come back every... Yeah. Every Star Wars? (laughs) Come back every Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a lot of them too, so, yeah. Is your brain in any one moment just in nine different directions? How do you focus? No, no, I I mean, I, I, there are times when it's, there are a few fires that are being put out at one time, but, um, typically, uh, and I don't know if this is just an ADD thing. If I'm turning a bug into a feature, I can't tell if it's good or good or bad. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm able to be present in the room I'm in. You know, even though the next room will be a different podcast, different story. Different, yeah, I don't want to you know, hurt your feelings, but <laughs> Mark Maron's in the other let's, room. Let's, let's just yeah. say, yeah. and he's not happy. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I, I, I'm. You know, you must feel the same. You're probably prepping, editing. You know, a bunch of things at once, right? Yeah, but but I also I, I I like you. I mean, there might be peripheral parts of my brain that are forming things that I know I will have to address. But I am usually pretty good at like this is what I'm doing right now, and this is what's important, and this is what I can focus on, and then I'll deal with that other shit later. And if I don't get to it today, then I'll mm. deal with it when I can deal with it. It's yeah. just like not putting too much pressure to do everything at yeah, once. Well, the thing I'm impossible. I'm learning is just to say no to certain things like to not get involved in certain things because it's it, it it's easy to distract yourself with so many different things and suddenly you're not giving the best of yourself to any of them and also when you have kids and a, a wife and you know or a husband and you're like you have a life that needs to be more than just distraction you know yeah. it's like that's it can be dangerous to to be in too many rooms I think one people time. can get addicted to the like the ideation process because you get you get that rush of adrenaline like this sounds amazing you know but mm. the the I think there's a separate skill set with maintenance, like the maintaining things, seeing them through. That's an unsexy process. Mm. True. However, the the reason that the the other side of that, I guess, a little bit is is 
the reason that I wanted to try and have a production company was for this reason. We would not be sitting here if there wasn't some of that. And this idea that, that came to us that we got excited about and we started talking about this was long before Dan was involved was one of those situations. And and you have to kind of – you never know exactly when to say yes or when to say no, but you have to try and figure out like what's your gut. That's the only kind of litmus test you've got I think. And the fact that we're sitting here talking about this movie, which I'm proud to be associated with, I think, Dan, you did an extraordinary job with, that came out of the desire to have people like Lindsay Weber, who works here, who was able to shoulder that. So while I was off, you know, working on something else, she was able to make part of her day job, and she's got her own, you know, uh, array of things, developing and producing this movie, which, by the way, she did with a newborn yeah, and, and, you know, mm-hmm. was in New Orleans. Amazing. And she, I mean, she was juggling a million things at once. So yeah. We all are on some level, but finding the right people who share a similar, you know, excitability about, about certain things, uh, who are really good at what they do. The, you don't need to micromanage. It, it helps, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't ever have, I would not be here if I didn't have the people who work at this company. But there is something you, I mean, you do also have to take credit for being able to attract good quality people who want to be, I mean, would you say Kathy Kennedy is a mentor? Was she, was just Kathy, one of your mentors? It's very weird. You even say that because the, um, uh, I, I've told the story before, but, but quickly, um, when I was, uh, 16, Kathy Kennedy called Matt Reeves and, and me to ask if we would, uh, repair these, uh, eight millimeter films that Stephen had made when he was a kid. And it happened, because we were in a film festival and she read about us in the LA Times. And so we, of course, said yes and we did the repairs. And then years later, uh, I got to meet Stephen. Um, Jill Mazursky and I went in for a meeting. Actually, it was about a Roger Rabbit sequel. And we were. We were um, what? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Wait, wait, hang on a second. Mike no, 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 no. Wait. You don't just gloss <laughs> over that. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Just real quick. What was that? What was that? There's a whole thing. I actually even have some storyboards for a Roger Rabbit. What? Uh, short. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a whole thing. No, it's, no, 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 no. Hang on. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Yes, I do want to hear the rest of the Kathy yeah. Kennedy story. Could yeah. you just give us a minute version of what the sequel of Roger Rabbit was yeah. supposed to be? First, you have to do your best Roger Rabbit voice. Oh, please don't make mm-hmm. me do that. Okay, I already I said regarding Henry like 12 times. <laughs> you did. And I already hate yeah. myself. And by the way, the, la- the last time was sad. <laughs> I got to go. Like, Oh, okay. Ah. No, honestly, the, 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 it was. We never really even got to that phase. We were writing an outline, and it just, it just, honestly, it, it went away before it was anything. But this was, this was a long time ago. Was there this a Zemeckis was, involvement with that too, or not? He probably would have been a producer on it, right? But you, this was, okay. this was nineteen eighty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, this was about twenty years before the internet was born. So, uh, in any event, we're at that meeting, and it was the first time I met Stephen. And at the end of the meeting, I said, you know. Um, Mr. Spielberg just need to say that uh, a few years ago, Matt Reeves and I, and he stopped me and he goes, no, I know you repaired the movies that I made. And he like knew. And then he said, and I will never forget this. And I did not understand it at all. And frankly, I still don't quite understand it. But he said in that moment, uh, Kathy Kennedy uh, says that you're her protege. And I was like, what What? the hell? Like it was the weirdest thing. I mean, I, I didn't, who the hell knows in any event. And it was literally uh, 30 years later that she called uh, to ask if I'd be interested in working on Star Wars. And and so she has been, as a f- moviegoer, you know, kind of a an idol, an inspiration, a, you know, an icon. Um, and personally, she's been someone that watching how she deals with all of her projects uh, and her two kids, you know, and being in a marriage with this amazing other 
powerhouse producer, you know, Frank Marshall. Like, it, she's unbelievable. So I don't know how you know Kathy and whether she feels this way or not. You know, I, I don't know how you not look at her as a mentor, no matter who you are, because she's just an incredible, uh, accomplished Well, I think that's, producer, I think, I think mentorship is one of the most important things that you can mm. that you can be a part of because good mentors I think when people go bad it's, it goes back to Karate Kid you know bad no, crease, teachers say student right. do you that's know it's it. like bad no such thing as bad student only bad teacher right. and so you you were able to have this amazing group of mentors uh, Kathleen Kennedy and, and Spielberg and all these people and then you get to there's almost this kind of hereditary thing where you get totally. to pass that down to people like Dan and then hopefully someday you will then be able to so in, in a weird kind of way your kind of spiritual emotional dna really does get passed down through all these amazing mm. people to mm-hmm. people like dan yeah totally wait i want to ask a question about roger multitasking thing and oh, okay. roger okay, rabbit okay, uh but do you, i'm so curious if you when we're talking about all the different pr- things that are going on and focusing which you are so good at which i've witnessed but like do you because i struggle with this do you allow yourself if you have multiple things that you know you need to be figuring out um, whether it's the movie that you're currently working on or another idea that you have for something or or a TV whatever do you sort of allow when, when something pops up do you allow yourself to start thinking about that or do you say no this is what I need to focus on right now while I'm in the shower when you're driving whatever do you like assign time to be thinking about that or you just let it happen and hopefully the ideas will come when they when they need to come I, I don't I don't know how to be prescriptive like that and to right. say this is how I'm going to split up my time and and right. the ideas will come at at nine forty five to you know right it, right I mean I know you don't mean that or do you like but, yeah yeah but it's like I, it, there I often find myself in a meeting on something and then there will be something that will trigger and it'll have nothing to do with that and I'll I'll jot it down um, or or I'll forget it but but it'll be one of those you know things that. I like having multiple things going on, right. but I also know that feeling when there are either too many things or I've said yes to certain things that aren't, they can't quite withstand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And you get to a place where you go, you know, and by the way, this is obviously a long process. Any movie is years in the making. And so there are seeds and things that we're talking about now that maybe in a couple of years will actually see the light of day. You never quite know. But I do think that, uh, there's a kind of a good number of things to kind of have going on. Uh, and sometimes that good number is zero because I, I, <laughs> I know that, that when I finished star Wars, not knowing what I was going to do next, and I still don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I can't tell you how exciting that is and how good that feels. You know, it's a, the, really the first time since I did Felicity that I haven't known mm. on some level. Cause I knew I was going Felicity to alias and alias to lost and mission and then star Trek. And then, you know, uh, Super Eight and Starting in the Darkness and then Star Wars. I was like, I've, I've gone from thing to thing to thing, you know, and in, in the interim done other TV shows and stuff. So it's, it's, I'm thrilled now to get to help out however I can. But the truth is that, you know, whatever advice I gave or, or opinions, you know, you, and you were open to so many of them. And I'm so, I'm so grateful. But, you know, you had, and I'm, you know, just for the record, this is so Dan Trachtenberg's movie. This is so his vision his his you know his debut his heart and soul is, is in this totally weird fucking movie that it ends up being i think one of the sort of funniest oddest scariest most bizarre genre bending things i've ever seen and i could not be prouder to have it be 
a bad robot production and it's like it's a total thrill and so it was really fun for me to get to like offer my opinions and i was always touched when you would you know consider them and 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 take them but we also had a great in, in-house team of the like the sound mix is amazing in this movie Sounds awesome you know yeah. the the people who did the sound design on, on it um you know robbie and Lindsay and will and um craig, mixer. Yeah, craig. craig yeah. amazing work and bear mccreary does i think like one oh of the, yeah bear mccreary one yeah, of the great, great. scores yeah. Dead yep. too. But yep. the music he did for this movie is crazy good ben rosenblatt overseeing all the visual effects that we did in-house all the visual effects and all the mixes were done at bad robot um so i think it was it was very much like doing a a, a student or independent film that was yeah. the vibe even though it was a major studio release and, uh, and a first for a lot of people. A lot of those yeah. people, it's, a, it's the first. Yeah. So Robbie got to really throw down the gauntlet on the sound. I got to really throw down the gauntlet on the, on directing it. And Lindsay, Lindsay got to really throw down the gauntlet on the directing it's it. It's going like, to be one of those true. movies yeah. that in like 15 years, like, oh, they worked on that. And that person worked on Oh, my you God. You know what that is? You know what that is for me that I've always wanted to t- tell you when I was so excited to meet Matt one day and, and tell him. But uh, uh, The Paul Bear is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I think whenever people say underrated movies, that it's ne- movies never really underrated. It's just a movie that they like and everyone liked, but they, we just don't talk about it enough. But the Paul Bear, for whatever reason, I think it was it was it was its proximity to to friends or something mm-hmm. that I, if that came out today, it would blow people away. It's hilarious and and awesome and a really unique movie. But the cool thing about it, it's also um, it's like Young Sherlock Holmes. Young Sherlock Holmes is written by Chris Columbus, produced by Steven Spielberg. Directed by Barry Levinson, and there's probably someone else in that. I don't know. Matthew Robbins? You know. Maybe Matthew Robbins, probably. But uh, The Paul Bear, produced by J.J., written by Jason Kadams, <laughs> did Parenthood and Friday Night Lights, amazing, um, and directed by Matt Reeves. And it's like this origin of the, these three awesome filmmakers uh, who all went off to do different things. That's um, very sweet. That well, I, awesome. I, I, I wish you all the best in the world with it. As I said, I mean, I know... It, I know because you're on the podcast, I'm sure people are going to go, the movie's really great. But it fu- is really fucking great. And there were genuine moments in the theater where we jumped. Uh, so, uh, yeah. and, and, and it was just the two of us. Like, even just, I can't imagine what it would be like seeing that with a, with a giant group of people to see a movie like that, to feel the tension in the theater and everything that happens. But you did such a wonderful job. Thank and I'm you. so excited Thank for you. you. And I'm so excited Thank to see you. where this goes. And, awesome. and I'm, always, uh, I'm always so delighted by how nice you are to me. I, I, it's, you know, I don't know. It's me? Just, yes, you. Oh, stop. No. No, you please. stop it, goddammit. No, please. You have to, uh, you should just do your podcast out of Bad Robot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally would. I'm, I'm actually, I'm excited to hear, I love the idea that you would be going into another room to talk to Marin, who'd be like, so uh, Kylo Ren, he's the hero of the movie? Like, <laughs> he thinks Kylo's the good guy. Yeah, I really identify with that guy. But you know anything we could ever do for you, anything, oh, you're we, right. any, any please, tiny vice thing. Versa. Thank you. So thank you so Same much. Future. JJ, great to see you. Great and see you. Dan, thank you. Yeah, and again, l- l- last chance, if you want to tell Tell us what the Roger Rabbit sequel pitch yeah, was like. No kidding. I mean, this is this is. Breaking. Or maybe that's by the way, that's maybe the next thing. No, but wait. Now you don't know your next thing. Your Roger circle. Rabbit sequel. Wait a That'll minute. never happen again. There were the, no all those companies would never cross well, IP streams like Wreck- that again ever. Wreck It Ralph. I feel like you know that was yeah. the video game industry, which right. is which is a little more nascent than the yeah. than that type of IP, and right. I think video games they're all like, oh, we should sh- share all of our characters because it. But getting all of those yeah, studios to 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 Disney and Warner Brothers and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and and that then is crazy yeah it's so it's crazy. it really it's is nuts yeah, that is yeah. true so just two two lines just two lines from the pitch from, I don't remember okay I swear to God it was so long ago I I don't remember but it it, it never really got past the like early stages of of what if but just, just to talk to Stephen about it at all was was ridiculously exciting. <laughs>
Well, uh, maybe that's a thing. Anyway, that uh, people like Dan and I will yeah talk about we'll that. Wonder for, about it. For, yeah. For what do you think ages? it was? But I do have the storyboard still of the short film that they wanted to do before the movie. I, oh, I have and, and by the way, can I have those? And I, Wait. I gotta find. The, I don't usually hold on to stuff. Wait, you know? so you were pitching that. the Good, short? No, 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 no. What happened was we okay. were talking about the movie, but yeah. they had a, an idea for the short, and I remember going to the animators, and I'd never seen an animation pitch before, and they took you through it oh, and right, performed. Fair. Yeah, you know, and the, the, like there are these three giant boards, and they would with you know a stick, they'd point to one of the uh, the uh, storyboards that were uh, tacked up onto the the giant board. And they would perform every frame. And for someone who knows animation, you think, well, yes, that's what they do. But hadn't, having never seen it before, right. it was unbelievably entertaining watching these two guys perform this short film, uh, doing the voices. And it was really Was funny. it a Roger Rabbit short? Yes. Like the, the beat? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, the thing that always kind of bummed me out about that movie is like you finish, they go, yay, they won. But then you go... Well, they didn't because the freeway got built. Right, like, oh, right. In, like, in real life. In, in like, real life. I live in L.A. Yeah, yeah I live in L.A. <laughs> totally. There is no Toontown. Red car's I mean, gone. That, you know, yeah. now they're... Yeah, so red car's cool gone. It. It, was, it was about a real thing. Like, it was... It, it was, was Chinatown. Like, Chinatown. Yeah, exactly. But about... The, but I, I was much more curious about... Now, having seen it later on in life, I'm so much more curious about that story, uh, that conflict, than I was about the water thing in, in right. Chinatown. Well, the, the, uh, when Christopher <laughs> Lloyd was on the podcast... Christopher Lloyd was on the podcast. If you ever... If you get a chance, Christopher Lloyd was on the I podcast. I remember listening to that. Yeah. You remember listening to it? Yeah, yeah. And he goes... Uh, it was one of my favorite quotes of the entire run of the podcast. He goes, Judge Doom... Fuck. <laughs> He's amazing. We, yeah, yeah, he really is. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah he really is. But totally. you guys are most amazing. Thanks for being here. Thank Ted Cloverfield Lane is, uh, by the time this comes out, it's out. So okay. people should go see it. Go support good movies. Go support. What are you calling it genre-wise? Are you saying it's, it's a, a suspense? It's a, it's it's a, a, if, if, if it was in the time of Alfred Hitchcock, he'd be calling it a suspense picture. It's one know? of those suspense yeah, pictures. Yeah, it's a mystery suspense thrill ride. Uh, and John Goodman, amazing. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, amazing. And John uh, John Gallagher Jr. John Gallagher Jr. Also fantastic. Yes, yes and, totally. Uh, you've done a great job, and Thank you. and everyone should go see it. Uh, that's it. Awesome. Enjoy your Thanks burrito, for your everyone. Words. Thank you. Cheers. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges. They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The GOAT. Stream free on Amazon Freeview or Prime Video. 